Welcome. I'm so glad to see you today. Glad you could be a part of this service. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Always glad to have you. Now, we've been in this series, and it's about the seven churches in Revelation. And today we're going to look at the sixth church in Revelation, and that is the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a growing church. It was a blessed church. A little background about it, it was in a city about 28 miles southeast of Sardis. We talked about that last week. It was a city founded about 150 years before Jesus, and it was called Philadelphia because it was a prominent leader in there who had great love for his brother. And so they named it because they nicknamed uh, the Brother Lover, the city of brotherly love. That's what that comes from, and that's how they got their name. Now, the city had a great opportunity. They were at a crossroads. The, the future was looking up. But the culture there was a culture with the Greek ideas and Greek thought. Alexander the Great had come along, and he planned to take the whole world uh, and change them into a Greek world, and this was kind of the premier city that he wanted to do that with. This was the model that he wanted to use. He wanted everybody to learn from Philadelphia how he wanted them to live. And the Christians of the area, though, were a minority. They were growing, but they were a small group of people. And there were a lot more Hellenists and Greeks there, and so they were just kind of in the minority. And the challenge to the church in Philadelphia is to share the word and the name of Jesus Christ to other people. And so they, they were challenged to remain loyal disciples, even when it didn't look like they had that many followers, to affirm the people around them, to live in love with Jesus and to welcome people who will surprise them by responding to their witness. This past week, Farrah didn't tell you this, but she witnessed to the students who were here. She gave her testimony. And when she did that, five young people got saved. You never know what your witness is going to do, and it may have planted a seed for others. And who knows what God's going to do in the future with that ridiculed by those outside the church. The people in Philadelphia were also ridiculed by those inside the church. There were people who were called Judaizers. Judaizers were people who had been Jews. Now they had become Christians. <clears throat> but what they were saying was, you've got to do this the way we did it. You've got to become Jews and practice all the Jewish laws and, and principles that we follow in order to become a Christian. And Paul later says, no, you don't have to do that. That's not the case at all. So Jesus referring to himself says this, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Now, Jesus is talking, and he's given an introduction. He's saying, I'm getting ready to tell you something, but before I tell you something, I'm going to tell you who I am. He said, I'm the one that opens the door. Now, listen, <clears throat> he's the one that opens the door for you and me. He's the one that opens the door for the church. He opens the door when there is no door to be opened. He makes a way when there is no way. 
He is the one that makes it possible for you and me to know God. He's the door. He introduces us to God. And he's saying, I'm going to open this door and nobody can shut it. And I'm going to close the door and nobody can open it. When Laura and I pray, we said, Lord, we need to buy a house. But we don't want to buy any house you don't want us to buy. So we're going to hold it loosely in our hands. We're going to make offers. And then you show us which one you want us to get. We made an offer on four houses it wasn't supposed to happen. We just walked away. We said, boy, I sure am glad we didn't buy that one. God doesn't want us to have that one. And then sure enough, the fifth house, he said, that's the one. We said, okay. <laughs> and we got it. And we're so grateful for it. We said, listen, we don't want to do anything you don't want us to do. That's the attitude of these people in Philadelphia. But they're tired. They've been faithful. They've been followers. They've been doing the right thing for a long time. They, the future is bright, but, but they're in a situation where they've just, you ever get tired of doing the right thing? You're just tired. You're just tired and you go, not today. Can I just take a break? Can I take the day off today? And Jesus said, listen, I'm holy. I can't be corrupted. And he says, I am true. He says, I'm genuine. You can count on me. You can trust in me. And it was important because he was getting ready to make some, make some astounding promises and claims. And Jesus is talking to Christian people. And he's, these are people who have already trusted him for their salvation. And I'm reading this and I'm going, Lord, are you preaching to the choir? You already got these folks. Let's move on. There's some more folks out there. But this is what he's saying. <clears throat> you who are Christians, you have been walking the walk. You've been talking the talk. You've been following. You've been faithful. You've been doing everything I've been asking you to do. Don't get tired. Don't give up. Hang in there. Hold fast. It's going to get better. You never know how much time you got left. But take the time that you got and reach somebody because, listen to me, the world is going to hell today, and they're in a hurry to get there. And they're waiting for you and me to give them the answer. They don't have it. And if we don't reach them, who will? And we got to have a heart for them. Somebody cared about us. And God sent somebody to us. And so the next time you get an opportunity, that's your chance. And it's a divine appointment. And you got to take advantage of it. And so today we're going to look at Jesus brings comfort in fresh doses. He always brings us what we need when we need it. In every believer's life, there's going to be the trust that he brings to us and the comfort that he brings to us when we need it. And that's the case for these people. They're weak and they feel uncertain. They're a small church. And these other people are telling them they're not good enough. And they feel insignificant and overlooked. Do you ever feel insignificant and overlooked? It happens all the time. I went to a college campus several years ago now that I'm an old man. Let me tell you something. When you get old like me and you walk on a college campus, they will not even see that you're there. You are invisible to them. It doesn't matter, guys, girls, they don't see you. You do not exist. You trust me and believe me because someday it's going to happen to you. And I'm just going to laugh. No, I'm not. But I'm telling you the truth. He says, I'm trustworthy. I'm holy. I'm true. You can count on me. And then watch what he follows up. He, he says, I want to give you some encouragement. I want to give you some comfort. If you need me today, listen, I'm going to talk to you. He said, I know your deeds. Look at the person next to you and say, I know your deeds. Let me tell you, that's some good news right there. Do you hear what he's saying? 
God is saying, I am paying attention to you. You think that I'm not keeping up. You think I don't know the details. You think I'm not interested in your life. You're wrong. I know your deeds. And when nobody else tells you thank you, I want you to know I do. I want you to see me and hear me today because I'm talking to you and I see your deeds. Jesus has total knowledge. You see a pattern here? Throughout these, these churches that he's talking to us about, what does he say? He says, you do all these things right, and he brags on them, and he pats them on the back, and then what does he say? But there's this one area I want to encourage you. I'm not going to tell you this to beat you down. I'm going to tell you this to build you up. I didn't come to accuse you. I came to save you. I'm trying to help you. I want you to know. And he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. You've been faithful. You've been hanging in there. And he says, I have the keys of David and I open and nobody can shut and I shut and nobody can close. I'm going to open the door for you, a door that nobody else can open. You don't have to open it for yourself. He's got it open for you. And we pray, Lord, open the door, close it, whatever you want. If you want me to walk through it, I'll do it. All we have to do is be faithful and obedient to him. And that's what he tells us. And so let me give you a little background here. If you go back to Isaiah 22, we're told about a king who's going to elect a servant. And that servant is going to give, he's going to give the keys to the palace. And they're called the keys of David. And everything goes back to David. Everything relating to the throne, to the palace, to the monarchy, it went back to King David. And the servant who has the keys, he's able to admit or to refuse people and he can do it to access to the palace. And Jesus is describing himself. He says, I'm the one that's got the keys. I'm the one that's got authority over the keys. I'm the one who opens the door. And he says, I'm going to do it for you, church. You think you're done. You're not. You think it's over. It's not. You think the world is just gone today. You know, you don't realize that I'm still going to use you in a powerful way, and I can do things that you don't know that can even be done. What does he mean? He's put an open door before them. Woodlawn, listen. What is the open door that God has for us today? What is the open door? Years ago, this church said, you know what? We're landlocked, and we're in a neighborhood, and nobody can find us, and the beach is growing now. And it's nice, and it's comfortable, and we all know each other, and it's a home, and most of the people in the church live in this neighborhood, and it's a hard place to leave because we got a lot of memories in this place. But guess what? God says, I'm opening the door. What are you going to do? Are you going to go or are you going to stay? And the people of this church said, Lord, we're going to follow you. We're going to leave it as hard as it is to leave. We're going to leave because you're going to do a new thing. And, and if you look at the growth of this church in 2002, when it opened up here in this location, it just took off because the people of this church, most churches won't do that, but the people of this church said, Lord, you've opened a door. We're going to walk through it. And we're just celebrating the privilege that you've given us to do what you're calling us to do. We've never done it before. We're scared to death. It's going to be different, but you know what? It's okay because you've asked us to do it, and we're going to do it. And that's what it means. We couldn't open it by ourselves, but he's opened the way. 
So what do you do? You can share your faith with other people. You can find a way to proclaim the gospel. You can show your love of Christ to those around you. And when God invites folks to faith, the church is often surprised and unprepared. But don't be that way, he says, expect it. Expect it to happen. That's what the church is here for, is to reach people far from God. And the obvious understanding is that Jesus has access to God, and he's going to give you and me access to God as Christians, and then he's going to tell us we want to reach other people so we can give them access to God as well. And then the third thing is Jesus Christ can increase influence and give opportunity wherever he wants to. He can do whatever he wants to, wherever he wants to, whenever he wants to, and you don't have to look around and think we can't do it because God says we can. This means that regardless of the culture, listen, and the increasing anti-Christian sentiment in the world today, God can do whatever he wants to through the church, and he is unstoppable. Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to see. I'm the one who holds the keys to your future. I'm the one who's opened the door. I'm not going to let you go through the wrong door. I'm going to take you through the right door. As long as you'll be obedient to me, God is saying, I can make a way where there is no way. You have a future. You're not done. You're not through. You may be tired. Get a second win because we're going again, and that's good news. And then he commends the church, and he says this, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I want you to imagine Jesus looking in your eyes and saying that to you. How would you feel? You're ready to storm hell for him. You're ready to go because he's saying, I see you and I thank you and I celebrate what you're doing. You have proven yourself strong. The city of Philadelphia, it was one person being loyal to another person. And Jesus says, you've been loyal to me. I'm going to be loyal to you. And because you have kept my word, he says, of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come. Listen, I don't know when the world's going to come to an end, and I'm not a gloom and doom kind of guy, and I'm an optimist, and I, I feel like we've got time. But listen to me. I don't know, and you don't know, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. We know who holds tomorrow, and we've got a chance. We've got a chance. There's a window now, and we've got to do something with it for God. Because you have kept my word and persevered, I'll keep you from the time of testing about to come. And he was expressing that loyalty of the church. And Jesus says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. The, the Judaizers were saying, God loves us. He doesn't love you. And so they were defeated. They were discouraged. They were trying to do the right thing, but, the, but they were about to give up, and, and they were misrepresenting things. And they were quasi-believers in Jesus the Messiah, but they were hanging on to the Old Testament rituals, like the food laws and circumcision and lots of pride. 
And God says, you know what? That's not going to get you there. It's not going to be through the things you do. It's going to be through what I do in you through other people. Uh, this group of, of people, the Apostle Paul was harassed by the Judaizers. He spilled a lot of ink in the Bible and Scripture about them, and he instructed the church, and he refuted their claims about the nature of salvation. He said it's not that way, and the Scriptures say in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Judaizers said Jesus plus theology will get you saved. Jesus plus food rituals. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus ceremonialism will save you. And he said, no, that's not true. That's not the case. He said, not only were they saying that they were the way, he's saying they're the only way, and they were wrong. And Jesus said to the Christian, now I've opened the door for you. He said, that means for Jews and Gentiles, everybody can have a place and that was just backwards to what the Judaizers had believed and been taught. And they didn't really understand, and it blew their mind when he came along and said that he was affirming both Jew and Gentiles. And, and he says, you can be rightly connected to God. And then he says this, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He said, hypocrisy is going to be revealed. And he said, faithfulness is going to be seen. And he says, you and I, we got to see who we really are and what we're going to do. I want to know your true colors, he's saying. I already know about you. I want to know what you're going to do as a church. Don't misunderstand what he's saying about pain and suffering for Christians. He understands that. They had been through a time of battering, and he's trying to encourage them and expose the pretenders and say these people have been faithful. And so whenever a Christian hears another Christian say, I'm going through a hard time or I went through a hard time, and it's something that you're facing today, when you tell your story and they relate to your story because they're going through it now, they really tune in and they pay attention. What I know about hard times is this. You've just come out of one, you're in one, or you're about to go through one. That's the way it's going to be in life. And Jesus said in Matthew that the person who hears and does my word is like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the winds blew and the rains fell and the creek rose, then guess what? The house stood. And it's just an obedient church. That's what he's talking about in the church in Philadelphia. This is a church on the right track. It's simple consistency. It's day in and day out doing what he asked us to do. And he says, hold fast. Hold fast and don't give up. They needed that encouragement. They needed it. Now listen, take notice. Paul gives a warning to the Christians. If you're standing, be careful because you can fall. Take notice, he says, consistency is careful living. Pride says, I'll never fail. Humility says, watch my step. Take responsibility. We're strong in terms of faithfulness. We're not perfect. We stumble, but we keep moving forward. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says, do not grow weary of doing the right thing. Hang in there. Hold fast. Don't quit. It's possible to do the right thing, but don't give up. 
And then Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Take responsibility for that. And then take heart. He says in verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He's saying, I'm going to make you stable. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to give you prominence. I'm going to give you honor. Just hang in there and don't give up. The church had a history of some changes. In A.D. 17, there was an earthquake, and that earthquake just decimated the whole city. And so Tiberius Caesar gave money. He said, I'm going to give you money. You're going to rebuild the whole city. And the people were so grateful, and they rebuilt the whole city. And then they said, let's change the name from Philadelphia to Neo-Caesarea. Neo-Caesarea, that's saying the new city of Caesar. We're going to thank him for what he did. But that name only lasted a little while, and it went back to Philadelphia again. And listen to what Jesus says. My God's name will be on you. His city's name will be on you, and it's not going to change. You see, God in the Bible, he takes somebody, he says, this is your name, but I'm going to change your name. It's going to be something else. And when God names somebody something, that's who he is, okay? I took a test one time, and it was about the New Testament, the Old Testament. <clears throat> and it said, here are the biblical characters you're most like, and I'm not even going to let you guess because I know you too well. And it said, my primary character in the Bible was David. I'm most like David. My secondary character in the Bible is Peter. So I told my mother that. I said, hey, I took this test. And it said, my primary character was David. And my secondary char character was Peter. And my mother said, well, that's real nice. But I named you Joseph. And that's who you are. And I said, yes, ma'am. All right? You see, when Jesus comes, his eyes sweep across the vast expanse, and he's looking for you and me. You ever see parents go to a classroom where their children are? What do they do? They look around the room. They're not looking for your kids. They're looking for theirs. And they say, that one right there, that's mine. That's my child right there. Yeah, the good-looking one. Yeah, that's mine. That one belongs to me. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and he looks in your eyes? And he said, that one's mine, and that one's mine, and that one's mine, and I'm going to take them all to heaven, and I'm not through. There's more. That one's mine. He's looking around all the time, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he's praying every day on our behalf. He's petitioning God, and he says, now, that one's mine. I, I tell you, Lord, I, I, this is what happened in his life, and I know it's been hard. But he asked me to save him, and I've done it. And the Father says, amen, come in, good and faithful servant. And that's what it's really all about. You know, here's what I want you to see. All these churches we're talking about in Revelation, they all faded and failed and, and, and just didn't exist anymore over time, except the church at Philadelphia. For centuries, it continued on. And Christians were still present in Philadelphia. They overcame a mass, massive Turkish assault. They, they overcame the vast Muslim wave of popularity to become a Muslim, and they were faithful to God. And in the 14th century, the church stood practically alone as a freestanding, free, self-governing church holding fast. Can you imagine what it would be like to be that church today? To hear God say to Woodlawn, hold fast. Hey, Woodlawn, they held fast. I got to tell you something before we close. This past week, God gave me a gift. 
it was Tuesday. It was an ordinary day. I was just in the office. And they came to me and they said, there's a phone call for you. It's a woman that says she was in your youth group years ago. She wants to talk to you. I said, okay. And I didn't realize how many years ago. We're talking 44 years ago. And this woman lives in Dallas, Texas. She's married and got grown kids now. And she said, I was praying during Lent, and I just stopped. And I said, now, Lord, I want you to talk to me now. What do you want to tell me? I'm just ready to listen. And she said she waited, and she didn't hear anything. And she went on about her business. And then, out of the blue, my name popped into her head. She said, Joe he was my youth minister. And she said, I wonder where he is now. And she looked online. She said she was able to find me real quick. And she said, I was preaching a sermon. And for some reason, she said she didn't recognize me. What's up with that? I ain't changed in 44 years. I still look the same. But she said, when she heard me talk, she recognized my voice. She said, I was preaching a sermon on a hot mess. And she said, I tuned in. I listened to that sermon. She said, that's got to be Joe Lay. Here's what she said. She said, you may not remember, but when we moved to town, our family was military. We lived out on Maxwell Air Force Base. All the other kids that went to the church were in that neighborhood by the church. We were across town. They all went to Jeff Davis High School. We had to go to George Washington Carver across town. We didn't know anybody. We were new in town. But she said, you made my sister and me. You even came to our house. You made us feel welcome. She said, I don't remember anything you said. I don't remember anything you did, but I'll never forget the way you made me feel. Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you say, and they'll forget what you do, but they will never forget the way you make them feel. And that is the key to reaching lost people. Maybe you're tired today. Maybe you've been going at it hard. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're wondering if God can even use you anymore, if there's any need for you to be a witness. Maybe you've been to a college campus recently and you were invisible like me. And you're just wondering, how can I reach anybody? They don't even know I exist. But God says, you know what? I can do anything I want to do, anywhere I want to do it, anytime, and I can use anybody. I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm not through with the church until it's over. I'm not done. And the church is always going to be. It'll change, but it's always going to be. And the question is, who's going to be in it? I wish you'd pray and ask God one thing. Lord, would you put on my heart the name of somebody who needs you? Or, Lord, would you just give me a divine appointment this week with somebody who needs you?
And I know that if you'll open the door, all I got to do is go through it. And I'll do it. I'll do it, even though it's out of my comfort zone. Even though I, I like to just hang out with the people I know and do things that are familiar and, and be in the place where I feel comfortable, I will step out and I'll be your person, your man, your woman, your young person. I'll do that for you because of everything you've done for me. And I just, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just use it to your glory. And all God's children said. Now today we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask those who are serving to come forward if they would. And Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. He'd been up in the, he'd gone up to the upper room. And in the upper room, he said to them, he said, we're going to have communion. And that was something they didn't even know what it was. They were, it was unheard of to them. But he said he took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. This is my body. And then also he, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, take this and drink it. This is my blood of the new covenant for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. And he gave them communion there. And today you're going to come and take communion. And everybody's invited. And you don't have to be perfect. And you don't have to be a member of this church. All you have to be is open to God to do his will and you intend to follow him and he says come on come on I invite you to come and be a part of this today and so I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come up here and you can receive communion and you can be blessed by this experience you know you've been to church and you've heard God's word and you've sung praises to him you get to commune with him you can pray to him you're a part of the family of God and and look around at these folks here because this is the family. And these are the folks that you're going to see in heaven. So you better get used to them. And then you better start looking for some more because he's not through. And any money that you put up here, it goes to the We Care Fund to help people in need for the food pantry. And God says, hey, I won't always, Jesus said, I won't always be with you. The poor will always be here so you can share with them. And so today you share, and I want to thank you in advance for your generosity. Then when you leave after a while, that's a chance to give God his tithe and your own gifts and offerings, two separate things. And that's the priority, his tithe and gifts and offerings. This is secondary after that. So you're invited to come.